The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, folks. You are listening to Nudge. On Nudge, we look at the world of consumer psychology and behavior science to try and understand the science behind great marketing. Today, I'm joined by Maddie Croucher. She's the senior consultant at Ogilvy's Behaviour Science Practice. And here is Maddie introducing herself. Hi, my name is Maddie Croucher, and I'm a consulting director at Ogilvy's Behavioural Science Practice, where I essentially creatively apply insights from behavioural science to change a range of different citizen and consumer behaviours. And over the last six years, I've really specialised in my passion, which is applying behavioural science to drive pro-social behaviours. And that's partly what really led me to co-author and co-edit the book Change for Better, which really explores how you can transform supporter engagement using behavioural science. Now, inspired by Maddie's talk at last year's Nudge Stock, I have asked her to run a quiz for this episode. So in this episode, Maddie will talk through some of the experiments she's covered in her book, Change for Better. She'll walk through those experiments and you'll have the chance to guess which outcome from the experiments you think will win. So it's your chance to test your behaviour science knowledge to see if your predictions actually match up with what happens. And it's a little different from from other shows. So if you want to view the questions that Maddie is talking through as she talks through them, just to get a bit more background and to make sure you're following along, you can do so by clicking the links in the show notes. Okay, makes sense. Well, here's Maddie with the first question. Okay, so this first question is a really lovely little experiment that comes from the book um, that really demonstrates the power of the messenger effect in driving engagement. So as a little bit of background context, it was a theatre company called Handlebars who essentially sent out emails to their subscribers requesting donations to support some of their touring work. And what they did was tested four videos of different messengers requesting donations Um, They had exactly the same script, but a different messenger each time. Um, So in the experiment, they tested four different messengers, um, and I'll talk you through each of them now. So the first condition, um, A, was a child audience member and beneficiary, so someone who was going to directly benefit from the donation. Condition B was a donor and an audience member like them. C was a recognised and likeable actor who appears in a lot of the theatre shows. Um, And D was a trusted and credible celebrity. So I'd encourage you now to take a think about which messenger you think yielded the most donations from this email. So to recap, a theatre company is trying to generate donations. So they've recorded four videos with four messengers to see which is most effective. 
in each of the four videos, the script is the same, the person is saying the same thing, it's just the messenger that is different. And the different messengers you've got are first, a child audience member, so uh, an actual customer. Second, an existing donor, so somebody who's donated before. Third, a recognised actor who has appeared in the shows. And fourth, a trusted celebrity known to that audience. As I said, there's an image in the show notes if you want to see this question and the pictures of those four messengers. So you can go check that out if you want to um, improve your guess. And look, my gut reaction when I heard this question was that probably the child audience member should work. The child is the beneficiary. They are the person who will benefit from the theatre productions going ahead. So I assumed this child, seeing this child, would boost donations. But what do you think? Well, I'll hand back to Maddie for the answer. And I think actually before I reveal the answer, it's it's really good to highlight that the messenger effect actually works on a few different levels. So we know we tend to be most influenced by messengers who are either authoritative, they're likable, or they're really similar to us in some way. Um, and this is because we really perceive these messengers to be a lot more trustworthy. And so we're much more likely to engage with and act on their word. Um, so really, all of these four messengers are really valid strategies. It's just a case of which one was most effective in this context. And actually, the answer in this context was D, which was the trusted and credible celebrity. So actually, the celebrity yielded the biggest click-through rate um, and also generated twice as many donations as any other video, which is quite a significant difference. So that shows us that for this audience, credibility was definitely the most influential. And actually, really interestingly, just like you, Phil, um, the team designing the experiment actually strongly predicted that the child beneficiary would win. You know, they believed it would trigger the biggest emotional response um, and really heighten a personal kind of sense of impact the most. Um, and it's inter interesting because actually many charities do default to using beneficiaries as the as a messenger for this exact reason, because it's going to kind of trigger trigger that emotional connection the most. Uh, but as we can see, it's not actually necessarily always the most effective option. So I was wrong. The child beneficiary is two times less effective than the trusted celebrity. Donors, like all of us, are irrational and we are more influenced by an influential celebrity than the actual individual who will benefit from the donation. It's why many charities use celebrities to promote their campaigns and why many brands use celebs to push their brand. Sometimes celebrities do just have that impact where because they're well known, we trust them more. But I think it has an even more enhanced effect, like you said, when they're they're kind of credible in that space. So I think in this example, that celebrity was like a clear advocate of this type of theatre. Um, it's actually like a Shakespeare theatre company. So I think he had some connections um, with that kind of work. So he came across as very um, credible in in talking about this charity in, in particular so yeah if we can kind of layer multiple things on top of each other um when it comes to messenger effect then we can make it even stronger okay let's move on to the next question now in this question maddie shares a test she ran with a charity where they tweaked the design of letter envelopes to try and boost donations here's maddie with the question 
This is actually an experiment that Ogilvy ran with Christian Aid. In case you don't know, Christian Aid are essentially um, an international aid organisation. Every year they do a big kind of donation drive where they deliver these donation envelopes all across the country to elicit donations for a humanitarian cause. Um, And we actually tested quite a few different strategies with Christian Aid. Um, But what I'm going to do is actually focus on three of the seven strategies we tested that really looked at how they could make it more intrinsically and extrinsically appealing to donate to this cause. So the first strategy we tested was to essentially add a little stamp in the corner of the envelope that said hand delivered, hand collected by your local volunteer. Um, And this was to really highlight the effort exerted by local volunteers and really highlight that this wasn't a mass marketing direct mail campaign. Um, It was delivered by real people. Um, And on that, we also used a handwritten font um, really to try and make it feel more personal and less like junk mail. With this one, it really leverages the behavioral science principle of labor illusion. Uh, where we know we tend to attribute more value to things when we feel like there's some additional effort being exerted on our behalf. Um, So that was the first one, the hand-delivered stamp, we're going to call it. The second strategy really focused on drawing people's attention to the fact that they could boost their donation by 20% for free um, by adding gift aid. And this one was designed really to appeal to people's extrinsic motivations towards getting something for free. Um, and really highlight the greater impact that their donation could have. Um, So number two was the salient gift aid. Um, And number three was really signaling the importance of the cause by increasing the thickness and weight of the envelope. So this one really leveraged the principle of costly signaling, where we attribute more value and importance to things when we believe that the messenger has exerted some kind of additional cost. Um, And this is really effective because it signals the messenger's own belief in and commitment to their cause, really eliciting greater trust from the audience in return. Um, And this one is a particularly counterintuitive strategy, um, especially for the charity sector, um, who we know are always really keen to avoid excessive overheads. Again, if you want to see a picture of each of these different envelopes, go click the link in the show notes. And as a reminder, we've got one which is a letter which highlights that it is hand-delivered by volunteers. Two, which is a letter which highlights how you can boost your donation, increase your donation with gift aid. And three, a letter with a thicker, weightier, expensive-looking paper. Now, conventional marketing wisdom would probably suggest that the second option should work. After all, that's linking to another benefit, the fact that you can boost your donation. But what do you think? Well, here's Maddie with the answer. So the results of this one were really interesting um, because the strategies actually had very different effects. Um, So the first one I talked to, the hand-delivered stamp, actually significantly boosted return rates by 14%. So there it's boosting the number of people who donated anything at all. Um, So there we can see that really um, showing the effort that volunteers have gone to makes more people willing to donate. Um, When it comes to the third one, which was the thicker envelope, um, that actually significantly boosted average gift uh, by quite a big 16%. Um, So they're really encouraging people to donate more money. 
Um, and I think this is really interesting because it shows us that in this context specifically, increasing the perceived value of the cause by exerting some kind of extra effort um, was really effective, whether that's the kind of physical effort exerted by volunteers or whether it's the monetary effort of using higher quality envelopes. Um, so some really interesting learnings from that one. Um, even more surprisingly, though, was the gift aid, uh, the making gift aid more salient, which I honestly thought, hands up, uh, was such an easy win. Um, I thought it was a really easy way to generate more revenue from the envelopes. Uh, but actually, it significantly decreased return rates uh, by nearly 50%, uh, which was quite shocking. But it, it, prevent, it presented kind of an interesting question. And we, we went away and thought about it after the results. Um, and we think it was potentially didn't work as we expected, because while the use of the word free can be really motivating, um, it might be that in this specific context of charitable giving, it actually made donating feel too transactional. Um, and it kind of crowded out some of the altruistic motivations for donating in the first place. So it felt a bit too transactional and essentially turned people off donating anything at all. As Maddie says, highlighting the gift aid benefits actually dropped donations by 50%, which is shocking because highlighting gift aid is something that most charities tend to do today. But Maddie's study shows that that could be costing millions in lost donations. The first option worked. It increased donations by 14% compared to the control. And that's impressive. 14% is a lot. But why is it such a big difference? Well, one reason is down to the illusion of labour. See, we value things more highly when we see the labour that's gone into creating it or servicing it. If you can see a chef cooking your meal, you'll rate it as being tastier. You'll say the wine tastes better after you've seen a tour of the vineyards used to create the wine. Michael Norton and Ryan Brewell call this the kayak effect. In the research they did with the flight search engine Kayak, they found that users valued seeing an animated loading bar scrolling through airline names rather than receiving instant results after doing a search. Forcing users to wait while the search engine shows all the work it's doing actually increased the likeliness that users would buy. Now that's really impressive. Slowing down the search engine improved actual conversions due to the illusion of labour effect. And that third envelope, option C, well, that increased average donations by 16% versus the control. And the only difference with that third option was the thickness and weight of the paper. Now, this is costly signalling in action. It's really incredible, right? People give more to charity if they know the charity has spent more money on the envelope. It sounds irrational. After all, who wants to give to a charity that wastes money on fancy paper? And yet, it works. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. 
It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Okay, let's head back to Maddie for the third question today. Okay, so the third and final example um, taken from the book. I really, really like the simplicity of this test. Um, essentially, in this one, a charity called Clown Doctors sent out donation envelopes via direct mail. And what they did is in the envelope, they included this sort of cardboard cutout image um, for donors to fill in with coins to complete the image. So it's kind of an image of a clown with different slots where you put in coins to complete the image. Um, and in one of the conditions, the letter was created that required people to put three coins into the cardboard cutout. And in the other condition, it had six coins. Now, in both of these examples, they leveraged the strategies of anchoring and sense of completeness. So first, with anchoring, we tend to use these kind of mental reference points to really guide our decision making. So by giving people three or six slots to fill in, it makes it really intuitive to know how much to donate. Um, and similarly, we have this instinctive desire for visuals to appear complete. Um, and we don't want to only kind of partially fill in an image with coins. So it's leveraging these two really clever strategies um, to get people to donate more. So there are two options here. One with three coins to complete, three coins to put down on the piece of paper to complete the image. And the second has six coins to complete. This might be a little harder to visualize, so do go and click on the show notes if you want to see a picture of this experiment, if you like. Now, most of you who have heard previous episodes of Nudge, especially the episodes on anchoring, are probably thinking that the option with six coins should increase donations. It should work as an anchor and encourage people to donate more. After all, setting a high anchor tends to sway behavior. But does it work here? Now for this one, the results counterintuitively, the version with three coin slots actually generated more donations overall, um, which is interesting because you think by having more slots, people would donate more money and that would generate more. Um, but yeah, this one's really interesting. I think firstly, just to consider uh, with both conditions, having an intuitive mental reference point, so slots to fill in, significantly boosted donations compared to a control. So that worked really well. However, when too many slots were included, like with the six slot envelope, it just became too difficult to achieve. Um, and while average gift did increase, um, return rates actually dropped a lot. So overall, it performed worse. Um, so I think it's a really great learning from this experiment to always remember to make donating really easy above all else. So whatever other strategies you leverage, um, it's really got to be physically and psychologically easy for people to do the action you want them to do. There are two things important for donation requests. One is the donation size and the second is the amount of people who return the letter with a donation called the return rate. Preferably, you want to increase both. The option with six coin slots 
did increase the donation size. It did cause people to donate more. It showed that people were anchored to the higher number and gave more when they saw the six coins. But it was harder to do. It was harder to complete. After all, you have to give six coins rather than three. And that meant it decreased the return rate. Fewer people gave uh, donations when compared to the control. As Maddie says, it highlights the importance of making the process as easy as possible for your consumer. There's a great example of this in Pete Dyson's and Rory Sutherland's book, Transport for Humans. They share research conducted by British online supermarket Ocado. Ocado noticed how many customers abandoned their cart when they had to select a delivery time. Ocado couldn't understand why this was. They had plenty of delivery slots available. In fact, most customers could pick uh, up to 10 different slots in a single day. Yet still, many customers abandoned their cart. Like Maddie's coin example, the abundance of choice appeared to overwhelm the consumer, providing too many options and making it too hard to choose. So they tested a solution. Ocado added a little green van icon to the times when the delivery driver would be in the customer's neighbourhood anyway. It did this without changing the delivery fee or changing the options available. Instead, it just nudged the customer, suggested a time for them to pick. And it worked. Conversion improved. The number of customers dropping out of their cart dropped dramatically. Simply making the choice easier without changing anything about the options boosted conversions. Now, before finishing up, I wanted to ask Maddie something. At Ogilvy, she spends her time helping some of the world's largest brands apply behaviour science. So, what common mistakes does she see brands make? I think there's one key mistake that actually many organisations make, whether they're in the private, public or third sector, there or we're really often unaware of our own cognitive biases and the impact that can have on the comms and the campaigns we develop. Um, and one that comes up a few times in the book is called The Curse of Knowledge. Um, and it's essentially when we assume that our audience have the same depth of knowledge about our organisation or our cause um, as we do. And what this does is makes it really difficult for us to view things through our audience's eyes instead of our own. Um, so there's a few kind of issues that arise from this, if you like. Um, the first is like when we fall into this trap, we might start to make inaccurate assumptions about our audience. So we might fail to make something that's really seemingly obvious to us, clearly understandable to them. Um, or we might miss the chance to tap into our audience's strongest emotional triggers. Um, or worse still, we might actually accidentally tap into something that actively turns them off. Um, and it's surprisingly easy to fall into this trap of communicating what we care about as an individual or an organization, um, rather than tapping into what our audience really cares about. Um, and quite often, the two aren't the same thing. Um, and there's a few things um, that I think can really help here. And they seem obvious, uh, but we do often overlook them. Um, and I think the first thing is just to really clearly define the specific behavior that you want to change. So it's as simple as thinking who, what, when, where and why. Um, and like I said, it seems really obvious and dumb, but we actually often skip right past it because we're in such a rush to get to solutions. 
Um, and I think what this helps us to do when we really start to define the problem, um, it helps us to then really start to understand why our audience currently are or aren't doing that behavior through their eyes specifically. Um, and I think then we can really start to solve for the audience and not for the organization. Um, so yeah, just to kind of summarize that, I think I think the biggest mistake is really not being aware of our own biases. Um, and we really need to consciously design for our audience and not ourselves or, or our organization. I think that's fantastic advice to end on. As marketers, we spend much more time thinking about our work than our customers. We may assume that customers will notice small nuances in our work or the subtle instructions we give, but all too often they won't. Reminding yourself that your customers aren't as engaged with your brand as you, well, it's vital. Okay, folks, that's all we have time for today. Massive thank you to Maddie for coming on the show. Her book, Change for Better, is a real must-read for anyone in fundraising or in the charity sector. I've dropped a link to that book in the show notes, so go pick up a copy there or simply search for the book, Change for Better, wherever you buy your books. If you've enjoyed this show, then make sure you're signed up to the Nudge newsletter. That way you won't miss any future shows. The link to the newsletter is in the show notes, so you can go and sign up there. And I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode. So thank you again for listening.